Man, it is so great to be back here at Vertical, and it's so good to be back in Waco. I love this place, and I love this ministry, and I love that I get to come and talk to you tonight about getting horizontal at Vertical. So that's what we're talking about tonight. That's where we're going. If I just crossed a line for you, you're probably in the wrong place tonight. I'm just going to let you know that up front. But it's good to see you, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about sex. So here's what I want you to think about, and I just want you to answer this question just in the quietness of your own mind. If I were to grab a handheld mic and I were to pass it around to each one of you in the audience, and I were to just say, answer this question, what does God have to say about sex? What do you think we would hear? If we just went from person to person, I think that we would hear one of three things. I think... We would hear people say either, uh, number one, I don't know, number two, I don't care, or number three, God says don't have sex before marriage. I think that those are the three things that we would hear. Now, if we took it a step further and I were to say, okay, now we're going to pass a microphone around and the question I want you to answer is this, what does the rest of the world have to say about sex? What do you think we would hear? I think we would need a lot more time for that. Because you think about TV shows and movies and social media and uh, everything in between music. And the world has a lot to say about sex. The the world's very clear. It tells you uh, when to have sex, whenever you can get it. It tells you where to have sex, wherever you can find to do it. And if you need some suggestions, there's a guy named Ludacris who actually wrote a song that just rattles off a list of different places you can have sex, like on the... 50-yard line of the Georgia Dome or on the top of his Escalade, which doesn't sound very comfortable, but it's an option. Who should you do it with? Whoever you can find to do it with. How should you do it? Passionately and quickly. So, if you take those two things, what God has to say about sex, which is basically don't, and what the world has to say about sex, which is basically do, and you want to have good sex... Who do you think is offering you the better option? Well, it it would seem like the world has the better path for you to take. The only problem with that is the Song of Solomon. If you're not familiar with the scriptures, God actually devotes an entire book of the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible, and he devotes an entire book just to the topic of romantic love. The book of Song of Solomon is about finding love, making love, and maintaining love. It is, in a sense, the instruction manual for romantic love and sex. Now, Let's just talk about instruction manuals real quick. Like good instruction manuals tell you what to do and what not to do. Like if you were to go and you were to read the instruction manual for the iPad, I don't know if you knew that there was an instruction manual, but there is an instruction manual for the iPad. The the instruction manual will tell you what not to do with the iPad. Like just so you know, you should not drop, burn, or puncture your iPad. Just so you know. And so you need to know that this book, the Holy Scriptures, do tell us what not to do with sex. It absolutely tells us what not to do. A good example is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 
It says, uh, let me look it up because uh, I thought I was going to have a screen to look at. Um, Dale, maybe next time you can hook me up with one of those. Uh, but let me just turn real quick. I'm high maintenance and uh, need uh, screens. But it says this. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. The Bible's really clear on what you shouldn't do in regard to sex. And I think that passages like 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 are very clear. Hey, you know what? Pornography is off the table. It's not an option if you want to follow Jesus Christ. You know what? Casual sex, the hookup culture on college campuses, that's not an option. Even if you're in a serious dating relationship and you think you're going to marry the person, I would say that the scriptures are very clear that sex in the context of that relationship prior to marriage is, is off the table. The scriptures are really clear on what you shouldn't do. And you might hear that and say, man, deal breaker. If that's the case, this just isn't for me. But here's what you need to realize, that the, the holy scriptures absolutely tell you what to do, when it comes to sex. See, God's the one who thought sex up. We have sex because God put it on this planet. It was his invention. It was his idea. God is the brainchild behind sex. And so he didn't just toss us sex and say, figure it out. No, he actually wrote sex into the scriptures and he gave us the Song of Solomon, which is our instruction manual. And in the Song of Solomon, He tells you when to have sex. He tells you where to have sex. He tells you who to have sex with. He tells you how to have it. He spells it out for you. So I want you to leave here tonight. You might not agree with everything that I share with you tonight, but I hope you leave being very clear that God is pro-pleasure and he is pro-sex. And I hope you're going to find tonight that he's actually more pro-sex than the world is. So if you have a Bible, turn with me tonight to God's instruction manual on sex. It's Song of Solomon. It's in the Old Testament. It's real close to Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And as we look at Song of Solomon tonight, this book is going to give us four key realities that we need to know regarding what I would say is biblical sex. Now, Uh, If you're not familiar with the Song of Solomon at all, you need to know there's actually two sex scenes in the book. Okay, the Song of Solomon is eight chapters, and it chronicles what I believe is King Solomon's first uh, marriage. And so it's basically this back and forth uh, between this guy and this girl. And guess who talks more? The girl does. And that's not a knock on you ladies. It's just reality, all right? The girl talks more than the guy does. In this passage, we're going to see the guy do the majority of the talking, but it's this guy and this girl going back and forth, and there's times when the girl's group of friends kind of interjects themselves, and that makes sense, okay? Wherever there's a girl, there's the high council nearby, all right? So that's the way that the Song of Solomon works. At the end of chapter three, Solomon is on his wedding day, and he gives us zero detail 
about the wedding ceremony. It's basically like there was a ceremony, and then we find a whole, ch- a whole chapter in the honeymoon suite. And that makes sense. It's a dude writing the book. If a girl was writing it, like the section about the wedding reception and the ceremony, there'd be about 10 chapters. It'd be like, this is what the floral arrangements look like. This is what I was wearing. It smelled like love. There would be all these types of things. But Solomon's basically like, yeah, we got married. Now let me talk to you about what happened at night. And so God, I don't know that I'd say it's a privilege, but he gives us the opportunity to basically be creepers in the honeymoon suite. And we get to see Solomon and his girl um, have sex. Now, let me just say this. I'm going to say several things tonight that make you feel awkward, and it's going to take you back to middle school, and you're going to find yourself uh, giggling. And if at any point you feel like I've offended you, let me just remind you, I'm just teaching the Word of God, all right? It's, the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, all right? So it's God. You can take it up with Him instead of me. So the first key reality that you need to know about biblical sex is this. Biblical sex is a truly safe sex. Now, all eyes on me. Biblical sex is truly safe sex. When I say safe sex, this isn't sex ed. I'm not talking at all about wearing protection or being on birth control. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about safe sex. When I say that biblical sex is truly safe sex, what I am talking about is the type of relationship where there is intimacy void of insecurity. And that's the type of relationship that every single person in this room truly wants. Every single one of us longs for a relationship that is packed full of intimacy but lacking in insecurity. And that's what we see Solomon experiencing with his bride. Let's just look. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is Solomon talking. He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. And now what Solomon is going to do is he's going to just start at the top of her body and he's just going to begin to work his way down. Watch this. He says, Behold, you're You are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. We better pause for explanation there. (laughs) Because, guys, what you need to know is on your wedding day, uh, your girl will never spend more time on her hair than on her wedding day. And if she comes down the aisle and you stand next to her and you're like, your hair looks like goats. Like, it's not going to go well. (laughs) It will not. Like, this is... There is something about this culture where this makes sense. It doesn't make sense here in America. So just leave that for Solomon. But he basically, you need to understand what's happening here. It's kind of a cool image when he says, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Solomon's a poet. I think he stretched it here. But you just have to think it's, it's like he's undoing her hair. And as he undoes it, her hair falls on her shoulders. And he's like, ah, it kind of looks like beautiful goat hair (laughs) glistening in the light. Now we get to my favorite verse in the whole passage, verse 2. This is amazing. He says, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. You know what he's saying? Like dental hygiene wasn't a thing back then. So he's basically saying, baby, your teeth are all white, and they're all there. Way to go. This is a win. (laughs) 
He's saying there's no like gaps in your grill. Like you have a full mouth of teeth and I cannot get over it. Now he goes on, verse three. He says, your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. He's talking about her red lips. He says, your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates. You ever seen the inside of a pomegranate? It's pink, pink. He's talking about her rosy cheeks. Verse four, your neck is like the Tower of David. He's saying, baby, your neck is thick. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Again, culture, people, culture. He's saying your neck, it's, it's elegant. Built in rows of stone. He says, on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. He's talking about her necklace. He's saying, man, your, your neck is beautiful. It's elegant. And now we step back into middle school. Here we go, verse five. He says, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Um, Let's talk for a moment. Uh, Here's what I need you to realize. Like Solomon isn't just taking inventory of her body. He's not like eyes, got them, hair, falling, teeth, present, breast check like that's not what he's doing he's not taking inventory of her body he's he's admiring it and some commentators believe that as he admires each feature of her body he actually touches it and so it's possible that this is the first time that this woman's breasts have ever been touched and so this woman finds herself potentially in the most vulnerable place she's ever been in her life where she for the first time is exposed before a man Now, guys, if you want to get close to touch deer, how do you approach them? You run up to them like, hey, what's going on? Get in here for the real thing, guys. Like, let's just hang out. Is that what you do to deer? No. Why? Those things are going to take off running. (laughs) I'm sorry. It was highly unnecessary. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to touch deer, what do you do? You move um, slowly and you move gently. And that w- that's what we see Solomon doing here. He's communicating to this girl, hey, you are safe here. In this moment when you are in the most vulnerable place you've ever been, when you find yourself exposed, Solomon is not trying to get from this girl. He's trying to give her safety and security. That's why I say that biblical sex is truly safe sex. He's providing an atmosphere in which this girl feels protected and safe. Do you see how pornography can put your future marriage in jeopardy because what happens is pornography distorts your understanding of what sex even looks like. And so some of you are going to step into your wedding night and believe that you're stepping into a pornographic film. And instead, you have to remember that you're actually stepping into some people's most vulnerable moment. Pornography is trying to distort and destroy your intimacy with your future spouse. He goes on in verse six, he says, until the day breathes and the shadow flees, 
what's he talking about there? He's talking about the sunrise. He says, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Some believe he's still talking about her breast. Other people believe he's talking about her whole body. Either way, he says this in verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. I love this because Solomon starts at the top and he says, you are, you are altogether lovely. And then he talks a little bit. He goes to her eyes, to her hair, to her teeth, to her lips, to her cheeks, to her breasts, and then he just pauses. And he uses his words. This isn't something that guys are good at, but he's, he's talking, he's verbalizing, and what he's doing is he is affirming her and adoring her. He's creating an atmosphere of security. And I love what he says in verse 7. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Do you think that that's a true statement? No. Did this girl have flaws? Absolutely. Why? Because every single one of us has physical flaws. Unless you have the privilege of being photoshopped or airbrushed in real life, every single person has flaws but Solomon was able to look her in the eyes and say there's no flaw in you why because he refused for this girl to compete with anyone else for his desire here's what I'm saying with that you know what the world says the world says that the norm is for you to go through life having multiple sex partners that's the norm, is for you to go through life having multiple sex partners. And so um, the world would say, Ben, you're in college right now. There's this thing called the hookup culture, and you should just hook up. Don't let, don't let dating and deep relationships distract you from college. You can have these just kind of quick flashes of sex where you engage and then you move on. And so the norm is to have multiple sex partners or that's the point of pornography is that you can enter into a fantasy world and have multiple virtual partners. The problem with that is the more porn you look at and the more you hook up with random people, what you're doing is you're storing up this database of images that you will take into marriage. And what you're doing is you are demanding that your spouse compete for your desire with other people that you've been with. So if you marry someone and you begin to look at a certain feature of their body and it's not as desirable as someone else that you've seen on the internet or been with physically, what happens is you begin to see that as a flaw. And when you see that as a flaw, there will be a lack of of adoration. And where there's a lack of adoration, there'll be a lack of appreciation. And where there's a lack of appreciation, there will be insecurity. The best thing that you can do is make decisions now that will protect your future spouse from having to compete for your desire. Now, let me just say this. If you're here in this place and you've had multiple sex partners, you know what the good thing is, is you have Jesus Christ on your side. And you can't change where you've been or what you've done. You don't need to. Jesus Christ dealt with all of it on the cross. But today is a new moment. And Jesus can make you new. And you can make a decision starting today that you just say, man, I refuse for my future spouse to have to compete for my desire. See, biblical sex is truly safe sex. It provides an environment of safety and security. Where a man and a woman can flourish together instead of drown in insecurity. The second key reality that you need to know 
about biblical sex is this. Biblical sex insists on maximum pleasure. Biblical sex insists on maximum pleasure. See, the world that we live in, we, we all need to be clear, the world that we live in, live in majors in pleasure. Like hedonism isn't just suggested, it's expected. That you pursue pleasure at all costs. That that is your greatest goal in life is to experience pleasure. Now if you look at it in the world that we live in, this world um, has, has made sex ultimate. That sex is actually the greatest fulfillment or the greatest source of pleasure. But here's the interesting thing that our world has done. Our world says your goal is maximum pleasure, but our world has separated the physical from the spiritual and the emotional. And so you have different songs, you have different TV shows that are all about one night stands. And so what this world would say is your life should just be your own real life version of the TV show How I Met Your Mother, where it's just your journey of sexual conquest after sexual conquest as you try and find your spouse. And pleasure is the ultimate, but you separate the physical from the emotional or spiritual. You can actually read articles written by women that tell the women in this room, hey, don't get bogged down with the spiritual or emotional. That'll slow you down, but your needs need to get met. So just pursue the physical, get your needs met, and move on. The problem with that is when you separate the physical from the emotional and the spiritual, you actually put a cap on how much pleasure you can experience. See, biblical sex actually insists on maximum pleasure. Look at what Solomon says in verse 9. He says, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Anytime you read the scriptures, one of the best things you can do is always look for the phrases that, were, that are repeated. What do we see repeated a few times here? Solomon calls this girl his sister and his bride. He's referring to the spiritual and emotional connection that they already have. And let's just be clear, intercourse hasn't taken place yet. There has been no orgasm yet. This is strictly this emotional and spiritual connection. He says he refers to her as his sister. He's talking about this deep connection that they have, that they know each other extremely well, kind of like a brother and sister are well acquainted with each other. And he calls her his sister and his bride. His bride, he's, he's, he's talking about this, this emotional connection that they have with one another. There's the spiritual connection of them standing on an altar before God and committing their lives to one another. There's, he refers to as his sister, like sister in the family of God. There's this spiritual and this emotional connection. And what we see is this spiritual and emotional connection fueling pleasure. You see it? He says, just one, one glance of your eyes has me going. He says, your love is better than wine, like your love. And there's been no mention of intercourse yet. He's saying, man, your love is already intoxicating. 
because the emotional and the spiritual that are then combined with the physical actually lead to maximum pleasure. Do not undervalue the emotional and the spiritual. You know, at some of my favorite times with my wife, some of my favorite times with my wife, you know, there's, uh, we're about to celebrate our 12-year anniversary, which is just crazy. And uh, some of my, you know what? Even after 12 years, there is, there is often times where I look at my wife and I'm like, I cannot believe that I get to be married to her. And you know when that happens, so many of the times it's us laying in bed at night just trying to outwit each other because humor is so important to us and she's good. Like I feel like I'm quick. I feel like I'm really quick and I'll say something and then she'll just one up me and I'm like, I can't respond to that. Like that's too good. And so we'll just lay there dying laughing, literally gasping for breath with each other. And it's just this amazing connection where I'm like, I can't believe God lets us do this. Just lay in bed next to each other, enjoying meaningful conversation and then filling the room with laughter. There's this beautiful emotional connection but then there's going to be these times, there's these times all throughout my marriage where my wife will look at me and she will say exactly what I need to hear spiritually. I'll be dealing with some insecurity and she'll just speak right in and God will use her as, as a prophetic voice in my life, a truth teller in my life. And I, I look at that and I'm like, I cannot believe that I get to be married to this girl. And I haven't even stepped into the physical aspect of our relationship. See, what the world does is it separates the physical from the emotional spiritual and says, this is where maximum pleasure is found. And God's like, man, do not settle. Don't settle for just the physical. Man, you're putting a cap on your pleasure. God's saying, no, 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 no. You're not just physical beings. No, you have a heart. You have a mind. You have a soul. Why don't you hold off on the physical? Why don't you spend some time getting to know each other, connect emotionally and spiritually so that you guys know each other for who they truly are? And then when you're emotionally connected and spiritually connected and you cocoon all of that in the commitment of marriage where there's no fear of breakup, there's no no fear, there's no insecurity. Then you take the physical, you put it on top of the spiritual and emotional, and what you have is maximum pleasure. That's how good God is. God's like, people do not settle. I made you to experience intimacy with one another. Biblical sex insists on maximum pleasure. Do you realize God is so much more pro-pleasure than the world actually is. The third key reality that you need to know about biblical sex is this. Biblical sex pairs purity with pleasure. Biblical sex pairs purity with pleasure. Look at verse 11. He says this, Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And now this is where it's going to get really intimate, guys. He says this in verse 12. He says, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. I want you to know that right now Solomon is referring to the most intimate part of his wife's body. And this is actually pointing to intercourse. 
for these two as we sit in the bridal chamber, as these two uh, begin to experience intercourse with each other, what he's saying is he's saying, a garden locked as my sister. He's saying she's a virgin. He's saying that she has made some difficult choices in her life to remain pure until this day. And you know what? In our society, that's frowned upon. I remember being in high school and these guys making fun of this other guy because he was still a virgin. But this girl is here on her wedding night and Solomon says, you are, you're a virgin. And look at what he goes on and says. He says, your shoots are an orc are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamu and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all choice spices. You know what he's doing there? Solomon is trying to paint a picture of a garden that has every single type of fruit and spice that he can think of. The only other place in the entire Bible where that existed, a garden with every type of fruit and spice was where? is the Garden of Eden. What does Eden stand for? Eden stands for paradise. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve got to experience sex. They got to become one emotionally, spiritually, and physically, and they experienced sex how God intended for it to be experienced. What Solomon is saying here is, I have experienced sex how God intended for it to be experienced, and it is paradise. He goes on, he says, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. What he's saying there is my, my wife is turned on. And now the woman speaks for the very first time. And look at what she says in verse 16. She says, awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Ladies, you want to blow your husband's mind on your wedding night? You lock that away. Like just in the heat of the moment, be like, awake, O north wind. <laughs> and he will pass out. He'll be like, I don't know what happened, but she said that. And then I woke up, and I don't know. It was crazy. That's pretty awesome. That's a good night. Awake, O Northwind. Let me tell you why this is so awesome when the lady speaks. Because for the first three chapters of the book, we see the woman say over and over and over, do not awaken love before it's time. So she says over and over, don't awaken it. Don't awaken it. It's not time yet. Don't go there. Do not awaken love. And now we see her in the honeymoon suite. And what does she say? Awake. Awake. It's time. And then she says this. She says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Do you see that? She says, let him come to his garden. Because now she's at a point where she's saying, what's mine is yours. Like, she's not being forced into it. There's not some... There's not some guy who's sitting there trying to manipulate her and, and tell her, you know what, if you really love me, then you're going to do this. And man, I've got needs and we just, this isn't a big deal. We should just do this. And she's not dealing with a guy who she's already told, I don't feel comfortable with that. Yet he just keeps pressing a little bit more and putting his hands where she doesn't want it and trying to, to do things that she doesn't feel comfortable with. No, she's saying, let him come to his garden. 
Why? Because he's, he's earned that right. See, ladies, this is what happens, and you can call me old-fashioned, and I don't give a rip at all. Let me just tell you this. There is actually something really beautiful and something really sweet and something really desirable about a guy calling up a girl, not texting, but calling up a girl or actually looking her in the eyes and asking for the privilege of taking her out. And then he takes her out on several dates where he doesn't let the physical thing kind of cloud the relationship. No, he takes her out and puts her in settings where she can flourish. And it's just times of sharing stories and laughing and having deep, meaningful, enjoyable conversation. And after several dates of just getting to know each other, then the relationship becomes more solidified. And you guys are clear that you guys are dating with the intention of getting to know each other, to know if marriage is something that you guys want to continue to move toward. And so you spend months, if month after month after month of just cultivating the relationship in being with one another and enjoying quality time with each other and seeing each other in different seasons of life to know the ins and outs and how each other functions. And then a time will eventually come where that guy is going to gather up enough money and he's going to go to that girl's uh, mom and dad and say, am I good to marry your daughter? And they're going to say, absolutely. Why? Because you have family that is so pro your relationship and you've got friends surrounding you guys saying this is healthy this is good you guys bring out the best in each other you guys will be better together than you will be separate and then he's going to put a ring on your finger and he's going to pay some money for it just because you're worth it he's going to put a ring on it and he's going to ask you to marry him and man you're going to enter this short time of engagement where the temptation is going to be high but it's going to be worth it to wait and then you guys are going to stand on an altar and you guys are going to commit your lives to one another and you're going to choose to love one another in sickness and in health and good times and in bad till death shall separate you and when a guy does that ladies you're going to want to give him access to your body because you're going to feel like you're safe with him. That's who deserves to know you in that way. Biblical sex pairs purity with pleasure. The last key reality you need to know about biblical sex is this. Biblical sex enjoys freedom. Look at what chapter 5 verse 1 says. This is the guy talking. He says this. He says, I came to my garden. My sister, my bride, I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, I did it. In this culture, the wedding ceremony would happen And then the bride and groom would go to the bridal chamber and consecrate the marriage, and then they would come out to the reception. How awkward is that? (laughs) But this dude is walking out, like, and his friends are like, okay. (laughs) And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And he's so giddy about it that somehow he puts wine and milk in the same sentence. 
Like when have you seen wine and milk paired? You ever go to a restaurant, they're like, may I suggest the wine with a side of milk for your dinner tonight? No, but with Solomon, it worked. Why? Because it was that good. He's saying, I did it. I experienced sex how God intended for me to experience it. And now you see in the second half of chapter, in the second half of chapter 5, verse 1, you see someone else speak. And I personally believe that this is God chiming in. And God says to them, eat friends, drink, and be drunk with love. The God of the universe is saying, I love what just happened. And there's complete freedom. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no insecurity. You just have God saying, you know, what you actually did was actually an act of worship because I made you to do that. And I brought the two of you together to this point. And now you've enjoyed sex, how you, I've intended for you to experience it. Do you want that? Like, yeah, it, it takes some time to wait, but do you want that? Let me just try and illustrate it this way for you guys. When it comes to sex, man, you guys are in a time in your life here in college where you are going to have to make some hard decisions about what you are going to do when it comes to sex. Uh, some of you guys, what you're going to do is you're going to settle uh, for fake sex. And you're going to give your life to pornography. And pornography is going to be a big part of your story here um, while you're at college. And, and let me just say this. Uh, when it comes to sex, many pastors, many psychologists, and even kings of Leon have referred to sex like a fire. And I think it's a really good illustration for sex. Because if you think about a fire, like any time it dips below like 80 degrees in Texas, like I'm up for putting on like long sleeves and starting a fire just because I'll take any chance I can get. Uh, because fires are symbolize joy. Like I love to get around a fire and feel that warmth. I love to be cold and then get next to a fire and feel its warmth because it brings joy. And I love to take my kids outside to our fire pit. And I love to make s'mores with them and fill the air with laughter. Fires can be a, a symbol of joy and delight and pleasure. And I think fires are really good illustrations for sex. See, some of you guys are going to settle in college for this type of fire. Go ahead and put it up there. Like that's the fire that you're going to settle for because you're going to give yourself over to pornography and pornography is going to be a significant part of your story here at Baylor University. Can you feel the heat coming off of that baby? Ooh, golly, that's nice. Uh, it feels good. It was a little cool outside tonight. It was like 86. And so this is like super, you know, let's take this to the next level. Just leave that up there for a second. Uh, I figure that I'll just roast one of these bad boys uh, and I can get this going for a few of you here. But man, this is the time. This is what I'm talking about, guys. It's, it's fall. Anyone looking at this like, this is so dumb. <laughs> Why? Because this is a fake fire. There's nothing real about it. There's no heat. There's no warmth. 
This cannot give you what you truly want. But so many people are going to settle for pornography and think that pornography isn't a big deal and it's not doing any damage when in actuality it's hijacking your mind and it's distorting your understanding of what God made you to experience when it comes to sex. Some of you guys are going to settle for fake sex. Others of you, you're going to settle for cheap sex. And so, you know what, you come to college and it's like, you know what, it's just what, it's what you do. And so, sex is just a casual thing for you. And so it's like, well, you know what, I want to hook up with, with that guy and we had a little too much to drink. But you know what, that girl was there and you know what, I was lonely, it was dark and one thing led to another. And you know, it's like, well, that guy's hot and I don't want to be in a serious thing right now. And so you're just gonna, you're gonna have these different experiences in life. And what you're gonna do is, is you're gonna take this, uh, you're gonna just take your hormones and you're gonna take just kind of your, your drive. I mean, come on, y'all are in like your sexual prime right now. And so you have all of your hormones and your desires and you're just gonna, you're, you, man, you just want to go for it. I mean, this is college for crying out loud. And so you're going to want to, uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen tonight. <laughs> but think about it. Let's get real. You know what happens when a middle school kid gets a hold of a, a bottle of lighter fluid? What happens? I mean, what happens when guys in here get a hold of a bottle of lighter fluid? Not middle school kids. Everyone, like this dormant pyro gene just awakens inside of them. And what happens is you love the flare-up. And so what many of you will do is you will go out into your experience here at Baylor, and all you're after is this quick flash of fire. And so it's all about the moment. It's all about instant gratification. And so you're going to hop from relationship to relationship. Or you guys are going to start dating and things are going to heat up real fast. And it's going to feel like you guys are just right there with each other. But in the end, what happens? Man, that lighter fluid burns up and it provides this big flash. But when that lighter fluid burns off, you know what you realize? you realize there was never a fire there in the first place. There's no warmth. It can't give you what you really want. And so some of you guys just settle for cheap sex. And you deal with the morning after, which breeds insecurity. What's he thinking? What's she thinking? Is this a thing now? You deal with feeling used. You deal with feeling dirty, but you settle. And then some of you guys tonight are going to get a vision for biblical sex. You know, you think about this fire pit. Like there's places where fires belong and there's places fires don't belong. Like fires are really nice in a fire pit. They're not very nice when they're in the middle of your living room. But fires work really well in a fire pit because the fire pit was made to hold a fire. Marriage wasn't made for sex, but sex was made for marriage. Why? Because marriage can hold the fire. Marriage can take it. 
Marriage can provide an environment with commitment that causes insecurity to kind of wash away. The problem with biblical sex is that it takes time and it takes hard work, but let's just agree that anything good sometimes takes hard work. And so it's going to take time of you guys just coming together and, and, and it's just kind of uh, putting one log on top of the other. It's, it's putting in the time of, of allowing there to, to be this emotional connection with, with good conversation and, and lots of good meals together, good food and, and lots of laughter with one another. And, and then you add in the spiritual component where you guys connect on a little bit deeper level where you guys are able to talk about the Lord and what's most important to you is most important to her and you guys are running towards Jesus at the same pl- at the same pace and so it's exciting and it's encouraging you have this emotional connection this this spiritual connection and then you've got different people coming around you, different family and friends who are saying, this is good. This is healthy. You're flourishing. You're not becoming someone else. You're not conforming for them to like you or love you. You're who God made you to be. You're flourishing. This is a good thing for you. They're, they're supporting you. They're encouraging you. And then you stand on an altar one day and you pledge your lives to one another. And so it cocoons you in this safe environment where your love can really flourish. And then you take some of your desire, your God-given desire, your God-given desire for physical intimacy. And what can come of that is this beautiful fire that took a lot of work, but the result is warmth. Enjoy. And tonight, I'm not going to light this fire. And the reason I'm not going to light it is because you're not there yet. You're not there yet. But I want you to know that God is standing holding the match. And it would be his delight and his joy to ignite the fire of your marriage. For you to experience this emotional, spiritual, and physical connection in his time, but do not awaken love before it's time. You know, some of you guys are going to get a vision tonight for the sex that God wants you to experience, and I hope that that's you. I hope that that's the case. And for others of you, the reason that you're going to settle for fake sex or cheap sex, the reason that you're going to settle is because you're going to leave this place tonight and you're going to make sex God. You're going to make sex ultimate in your life. You're going to believe that sex is the ultimate source of pleasure. You're going to believe that sex is God. But let's just be clear. Sex isn't God. It's a gift from God. Sex isn't the ultimate source of pleasure. It's just a gift from the true ultimate source of pleasure. You know what Psalm 1611 says? It says this, you make, known to me, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know who's seated at the right hand of the Father? Jesus Christ. See, sex will offer you moments of pleasure. 
but only in Jesus Christ are pleasures forevermore found. Sex is great, but let's just be clear. It's not God, it's just a gift from God. So would you tonight fix your eyes on the one true source of pleasure, Jesus Christ in whom are pleasures forevermore. Some of you guys tonight are here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're going to step into the pleasure of meeting your maker tonight. And you're going to know Jesus Christ, the one who stepped out of heaven and into earth and dealt with all of your sin. He lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserved to die. He rose from the dead so that you too could be raised to walk in newness of life where you have a personal, enjoyable, intimate relationship with God. Some of you guys are going to step into that pleasure tonight. Others of you aren't going to take your first step with Jesus. You're going to take your next step with Jesus because some of you are going to hear tonight and you're dealing with guilt and shame from your sexual past. And you might have brought in some shame, but you leave it here tonight because Jesus Christ, the one who has pleasures forevermore for you to experience, wants you to experience the pleasure of trading your story of failure for his story of forgiveness and favor tonight. You rest in his forgiveness. You rest in his renewal. You're not defined by who you've been. You're defined by what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. You walk in that tonight. Would you take a step with Jesus Christ in whom are pleasures forevermore? Let's pray together. Will we just take a step together with Jesus Christ? Would we look to him who is God, the one who has given us the gift of sex? May we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one and only one who can give us what our souls truly long for, fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In Jesus' name.